You're listening to Demystifying Age Care with Graham Maybury. Hi, I'm Graham Maybury. Thanks for listening to Demystifying Aged Care, where we discuss the aging journey and what really matters to you when it comes to growing older with meaning. Sadly, dementia remains the leading cause of death in Australia, and it's likely to take the number one spot in coming years, according to the latest figures released by the Australian Bureau of Statistics. The prevalence of dementia poses a number of challenges for the aged care sector, as well as families caring for a loved one impacted by the condition. Why is dementia on the rise? Is there anything we can do to reverse the trend? What happens when a loved one with dementia can no longer live at home? And how is the aged care sector responding to the needs of people with memory loss? Our guests today bring three unique and personal perspectives on journeying with dementia. Professor Ralph Martins AO is a leading expert in the diagnosis and prevention of dementia and the Foundation Chair in Aging and Alzheimer's Disease at Edith Cowan University. Russell Bricknell is the CEO of Baptist Care, which operates a number of memory support units for people with dementia across its 10 residential aged care facilities. And Lorraine Dusting is a nurse whose mother Shirley has dementia and now lives in the memory support unit at Baptist Care's Gracehaven Residential Aged Care in Rockingham. Thank you all for being part of this important conversation. We'll begin with you, Professor Martins, your distinguished career, and I've had the pleasure of speaking to you on a number of occasions as it has developed. It's been dedicated to the study of dementia. Help us get a better understanding of what dementia actually is and the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Yes, uh, thanks, Graham. It's a pleasure talking to you again after all these years. Um, Dementia basically means loss of mind, and it's a umbrella term that covers a lot of different types of dementia. Uh, and Alzheimer's is a specific form of dementia, which we know probably a lot more than the other types of dementia. Uh, at the end of the day, they all have the same impact, compromising people's quality of life. Uh, but uh, specifically, Alzheimer's disease has very distinct features, and we can see these changes in the brain uh, after someone has died. And more recently, we've got the technology to pick it up much earlier and diagnose much earlier. Thanks for that. Why is dementia so prevalent in Australia, and and how do we compare to the world? It's it's uh, it's it's a multifactorial process. Uh, aging population does play a big role. You know, and all our populations, particularly in the Western world, tend to be aging much more rapidly. So that's a big factor, and lifestyle is another major factor. So taken together, it definitely has a much greater impact on us. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so compared to uh, the United States, uh, Europe, we're probably equivalent, and the UK. Uh, countries such as Asia, in uh, China, uh, Japan, uh, J- Japan would be the exception, but China, Indonesia, India, they are emerging, and we see in the future more than half the world's population with dementia will be coming from those countries. What elements of lifestyle? So it's a lot to do with uh, a sedentary lifestyle um, in, in our part of the world. Uh, that plays a big role, but includes uh, a diet, or poor diet, should we say, it's lack of sleep, multiple factors, lack of stimulation, uh, and they all, uh, and also uh, attention to vascular risk factors, such as your blood pressure and cholesterol. What more, and I guess we've, we've come into this through lifestyle discussion, what more needs to be done in terms of dementia prevention? Well, we definitely need to have more prevention trials and this is something mm. I've been, I've been uh, really hitting the drum for for a number of years. Mm. And finally, 
that's not going to be happening in Australia in a serious way. Uh, there, there's big uh, trials happening in Europe. Uh, it's called the FINGERS trial. Um, it stands for the Finnish Intervention Program. Mm-hmm. Uh, the United States has, has taken a program called Appointers, and they've invited me to do something here in Australia. I was fortunate enough to get a major grant from the federal government, the MRFF fund, to do that. And basically, we're going to look at the combination of, of diet, exercise, attention to sleep, and all these factors uh, in a group of 300 people that we will be following for the next two years. Uh, and there'll be other th- 300 other people who will be given lifestyle advice. But what's very exciting about this program is in Europe, they've shown a very marked uh, impact on reducing that cognitive decline that leads to dementia. It, if you follow that, and it's, and it's a way that we see going forward because drugs are not yet there yet. So, and you've beautifully led into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which is diagnosis, and uh, that's been a big part of your work, of course. What advances have we made in diagnosis? So we made huge advances over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, in the past, you could only diagnose someone with certainty after they were dead. It was, it was a diagnosis by difference. You'd screen for everything else and then say you, you have Alzheimer's type dementia. Now we can take pictures of the brain, uh, and this is a work that's really been led through Australia that's changed the way now clinical trials are done, and we can see changes of this toxic substance that we call amyloid building up in the brain 20 to 25 years before the onset of symptoms, and that's revolutionary because that now puts us in a position to be able to intervene when the brain is still relatively intact. So, so that, in fact, that brings me again to the next question, which is how, how it's one thing, we can't cure it, but can we slow it down? Can, have we made advances in, st- in making it at least progress more slowly? I think we have, and I think this is why this, this, this study that we're going to be doing in Australia, the Australian Arrow, where we're bringing together all these lifestyle factors that we think have a positive impact on the brain uh, to, to show this effect. But we show, for example, that people whose who sleep is improved can have a significant benefit on, on, on regulating their cognition and, and keeping it much better. Same thing with exercise. Uh, and uh, there's now work being done by one of my young researchers who's now become independent at Murdoch University to show that people who are, have a strong genetic risk factor for Alzheimer's disease, if they're given rather intense exercise using uh, bike riding, uh, there's a significant impact on their memory. So these are very, very encouraging signs in their own right. And finally, diet, the Mediterranean-style diet, has a profound effect on protecting the brain. And that's not being recognized globally. Yeah, it's kind of, if it's good for your heart, it's probably good for, good for, for your brain. brain. Exactly right. I've heard you say that before. <laughs> Thank you, Professor Lorraine. Let me bring you in here. Welcome along. Uh, you're traveling a very personal journey, and thank you so much for sharing some of it with us today. It involves your beloved mum, Shirley. Mm-hmm. Uh, when did your family first become aware that Shirley was starting to show signs of struggling? In 2013, we realised that mum was showing signs of uh, forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, what, two- what sort of things? Oh, well, she um, had an episode where she forgot to catch the bus. She just kept on walking past the bus stop. When she got home, she couldn't remember how she got home. That was the first time I was living with her at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, yeah. So. And what other things is it? Uh, she was forgetting to, she'd turn the gas on and forget to turn it off which was a big problem to us. Um, She was not medicating properly. She'd get up and have a medication and then go back to bed and forget that she'd had it and come back and have another lot. So it was quite disturbing for us. Mm. So in 2015, we got um, at-home services to come in and to medicate her and to 
do some house cleaning and stuff like that. Let, let me take you through that journey a bit. You're a nurse, uh, of course, and so you, you get this huge... Mum forgets to catch the bus, so there's a huge wake-up call. Mm. How, do, how do you go about getting a diagnosis and, and getting some understanding of what the road ahead looks like, what, what's going to happen in the future? At the time, we took her to the doctor and the doctor... Um, referred her to a geriatrician and she had begun to have tests and things. Mm-hmm. Um, so mum, step one, go to your doctor mm, uh-huh. mm-hmm. and they'll refer you on to specialist help. Yeah. From there she had to have tests but mum was at the stage where she wasn't ready to admit that something was wrong. So when they were doing the testings she would just say, I don't want to talk about that. So she would refuse to answer the questions. So they were asking me, does she not know the answer or is she just being... I said, being stubborn, I said, no, I think she just doesn't know. Mm. Um, so that sort of went, it was difficult to get her to. So we had to more or less take notice of what she was doing. And at this stage, she was living independently. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, yeah, thank you. I should have made that clear sooner. Mm. I understand your husband, Ray, then brought mum home to, to live with you guys mm-hmm. and for some weeks. Uh, but of course, you both had full time jobs. Well, we went to her house one day and she was suicidal, anxious, mm-hmm. um, and I just said, Mum, you can't be here on your own anymore. I'm taking you home. So we took her home. But she was so intent on not being here <laughs> that she was. Um, we had to stay with her all the time. Even through the night I had to sleep near her so I could hear if she got up or anything. And... Mm. Um, after two weeks of doing that, we just realised that it, w- it wasn't possible. So we, we, I took her to ED at the hospital and um, the mental health doctors came down and assessed her and said they were too worried about us looking after her. You know, we couldn't... It just wasn't possible. So they put her into the mental health ward for eight weeks and mm-hmm. it was from there that we had to make the decision to put her into Gracehaven. Huge emotional journey for you. It was. Very difficult, I imagine. Especially seeing her anxiety. Mm. And, mm. Um, and then you... So, so now you need to find a residential option, a residential care option. What factors were important for you? Safety was big. Mm. Um, care staff levels was another thing. Um, I think when it's your mother, everything's important, even down to the, the kindness, the, every little thing is important. Um, but you know, yeah. Yeah, I guess the other the other balancing act. Sorry, but the other balancing act is she needs to be involved in this as much as she can be as well. Mm-hmm. Did she have options, or did she just think the whole thing is is not what I want? Uh, she never. She didn't want to go into a nursing home, but we had to say, and it's true, it was a village. She's in Gracehaven Village. Um, she was happy to go into a village, but the word nursing home wasn't a good thing for her. And she is in the village section, so she's in the memory support she's, unit. Yes. Yeah, at uh, Gracehaven, mm-hmm. you visit regularly, of course. What's the memory support unit like? It's only ten beds in that house. It's all women, and that's very important to Mum because she's had an a, a abusive background. So it's very important that she be in that. With, with just women. It's continually staffed. There's two staff members 
sometimes one, but usually two staff members at all times. So it's not allowed to be unattended mm-hmm. with staff. So that's important. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's activities and, and things. And the staff are always very welcoming to family. Um, they don't mind how much we visit and I take mum out and, you know, we have a, yeah. So you're obviously very satisfied, happy with what's happening. I'm happy with what, what's happening. Russell, we're hearing about the care Shirley's receiving at the Memory Support Unit in Gracehaven. You've got units across a number of, of facilities. Uh, I imagine the demand is, well, from what Professor Martins has told us, the demand must be high. It is. Uh, up to 70% of residents in our aged care service will have a diagnosis of dementia. Obviously, small numbers are in memory support units and they have particularly special needs. And those needs are about providing them with a safe environment um, where they can be intensely cared for but still have an ability to make choices and, and to, to have an input into their lives. So, so we've previously talked about this term, person-centric care. Apply that to the memory support units. So I suppose it starts with our staff getting to know the person at a really intimate level. Sometimes people with dementia have difficulty communicating, so understanding how nonverbal cues indicate moods and what people are wanting to do, understanding their interests, their background, what, what they were before they came into the unit, really helps us mould the care around that person individually. Some of the worst images of of care of seniors on media have centred around people journeying with dementia or Alzheimer's disease. How does how does Baptist Care, your your CEO there, how does how do providers like Baptist Care uh, have face these key challenges? Or perhaps I should ask you, what are the key challenges that face you? I think for us, it's about getting the right people into memory support unit environments. It's really important to have people who are passionate about caring for people with dementia. One of the beautiful things you see is people putting their arms around and cuddling and caring for people in a dementia environment because quite often it's quite an anxious um, world for people. So for us the first priority is to get the right people. The second thing for us then is to give them the tools and the training and the education that they would need to be able to be more effective So it's not just about passion, it's about a really diligent application of knowledge around a person. And because I know you outside of podcasts, I know the important thing too is support of those staff because it's a draining role. Yeah, absolutely. And we we provide a whole lot of support for people. And and part of it is about our our culture we're trying to create within the organisation as well. So if we can create a culture that is about caring and about teamwork and togetherness and about integrity and responsibility and accountability, it really provides a supportive environment for the staff. And if we're doing that for the staff, clearly that's going to happen for the residents as well. Professor Martins, we're talking about ageing, yes. but, uh, but, but I know that, uh, in fact, I still vividly remember calls to my radio program from people who had family members encountering dementia at younger ages. So I, I should say, um, is, is that something to do with health providers diagnosing people with dementia earlier? That's partly, uh, partly contributing to that. Uh, but I, I, I think I come back to the lifestyle uh, situation. We know that obesity is a big issue in Australia. Type 2 diabetes is also seeing in younger people, in, in, in children actually, teenagers. Uh, and these are major risk factors for dementia. 
So it's, it's kind of understandable that you tend to see now this, this flow on into early onset Alzheimer's. So but we could say there's a trend? Of there's a trend. So increasing, uh, th- those numbers are increasing. Mm-hmm. And, they are, and as, as you rightly pointed, they're being better diagnosed in the past that you would consider to be too young to get dementia. Uh, but we also have families where there are strong genetic causes of Alzheimer's. Uh, and and there's no question if uh, you know if if the son or daughter has got the gene that mum had, uh, uh, they would definitely get Alzheimer's. And if mum had it in her thirties, early thirties did get in the early thirties. So so that's it's a, they are a small percentage, but very significant uh, group of people who who get it very early. And an aged care facility wouldn't be a place for them. If younger people with dementia need to go into a residential care facility, what sorts of support services and therapy need to be considered for them? I mean, that's a very important question, and I don't have an answer to that <laughs> yet. But uh, what definitely uh, uh, what I could say is that these people tend to fall within the cracks. You know, they tend to be either going to age care or they're going to disability, and really their needs are not met. Uh, so uh, they need to have a different type of help. And I think there are some uh, uh, resident care units that are now starting to meet those needs. They need, for example, more engagement. They need more physical activity. Definitely, activity is very important because their level of activity is much more than that of uh, a much older resident who's got dementia. Uh, they need uh, support because they could have a young family. That's something that needs to be taken into account. So a lot of support services, I think, need to come into play for people with younger onset dementia. So, Russell, in in uh, in your well, let's take Gracewood Baptist Care Gracewood Residential Aged Care. Do you have younger people there, and and what are you doing for them? Yeah, we have three gentlemen that are in their 50s and 60s uh, that are in our memory support unit and we do a range of things. They're able to attract a whole lot of support funding through the National Disability Insurance Scheme Uh, and two weeks ago I was out there playing table tennis with them. I got there as an Irish trio were playing and they're singing and dancing with their wives and, and there's a basketball hoop there and there's a whole lot of activities that we do which is just powerful. So these are married guys. Yeah. So obviously link with wives in particular, but family as well is important. Yeah, and their wives are active and involved in the care. And and the beauty about it is the wives pick up the sense of community that sits there. And so it's not just about these three gentlemen. It's about everybody in the memory support unit. And so all of these encounters are about creating community because of the presence of family. So Lorraine, let me come back to you. Um, is it, how important has it been for you to be able to maintain that connection strongly with mum? Uh, it's been very important because <clears throat> over the years mum, my mum has had a lot of um, important times in her life where she's been cut off from people suddenly. Mm. and um, yeah, So she's had a lived experience her, of yeah, unwanted separation, that, sudden. Well, unwanted, unwanted. One time she did want to and she left, but when she left there, she left a whole town of people that she'd known for 50 years yeah. and never had contact again. Mm-hmm. Her mother died when she was 12. Um, she didn't have closure to that. Her son died a couple of years ago and she didn't have closure for that. So it's been a lot of things that have happened to mum. And I think for me not to be there now would be absolutely terrible for her. Let me ask you too, when you go into the facility, do you have a sense that the staff are empathetic with your journey and what's going on for you emotionally? Mostly yes, yeah. And that would be crucial too, I imagine. Mm -hmm. 
because it because you're on a you know it's not it's not it's a uh, very emotional time totally every time I go there totally yeah because you the is she still on a glide path like you lose a little bit more each time um, or pretty much plateaued she's pretty much plateaued just for now we did see a bit of um, a decline over Christmas but was with family gatherings and that were too big for her now and she couldn't cope with the the mm. people too many people at once. I'm patron of Compassionate Friends, which is the self-help group for parents who've lost siblings or young siblings who've lost uh, parents who've lost children or siblings who've lost mm. each other. And I I know from them and many other contexts, there's nothing like having walked the journey yourself, and you have. Mm. So could you tell us what your advice would be for other adult children learning to navigate a new relationship to a parent who's developing dementia? Well, the uh for the person that's going through the dementia, it's a very scary and confu- confusing time. Um, so we have to be mindful of what they're actually feeling. And for the family, it's a very um, emotional time. So I would just, my what I always say is, if it's bad for me watching it, how bad is it for the person going through it? And then I can get a, more of a picture of what it is like mm-hmm. for mum. Mm. Yeah. And for others in your situation, what would you say to them? People listening to this podcast who have a parent that maybe is about the mm. stage where your mum was when she didn't catch the bus, what would you say to them? Mm. Just oh. Based on your experience, any... If, if it was early like that, mm-hmm. I would say go and get help straight away. Don't mm-hmm. put it off. Yes. Yeah, um, don't. Yeah. What would you say about dealing with the guilt? There must, because I've heard so many people say to me, it's so hard. I don't feel guilty Great. because I knew that I had to do it. I, I knew that I tried to have her at home with me, but I knew that it wasn't possible. Yeah. And I, you often hear people say, I'll never put my parent into a nursing home, but you never know. Yes. You never know what's, what it's going to be like. Coming out of the Royal Commission into Aged Care in Australia, there are a number of important conversations, a lot of media attention, including the passionate food advocate Maggie Beer and her call for improved standards where it comes to food served in residential aged care. And uh, it's very different to what you might imagine. And Professor Martins, I know over our conversations, you share her passion. Uh, And uh, you're on the board of the Maggie Beer Foundation. Very much so, Graham. Uh, she is very passionate about bringing good food into aged care. But you're, I think, part of you, apart from the fact that you love good food, yeah. but you keep yourself very fit, I must say. No, not now, maybe, <laughs> thanks to her. But, uh, you know, she wanted nutritious, delicious food yes. uh, to, to get into aged care. And I think she's having a very significant impact, and I'll, I'll do anything to support her in achieving and that objective. And I think one of the particular things I'd love you to comment on just quickly is that what is the sensory and social experience, the taste and enjoyment of the food and the link with people that food provides in residential aged care? I think the, the, uh, the sensory uh, uh, systems are the ones that are the last to go. And if you're unable to enjoy food, then you, you, there's not much left for mm. someone in aged care. And that's what Maggie's been focusing on. And very interestingly, if you look at it from a scientific perspective, as we get older, our ability to, to salivate gets reduced. And so we need to provide them with stimulating environments, for example, cooking fried onions, 
just to get those, the, the scent going because this sense of smell is, is the last to go. And that stimulates the applied, improves your, your saliva, improves your digestion, increases your quality of, uh, of your food that goes into your system. So it's, it's a very combined thing. Obviously, if you do it in a communal manner, that's also really important, the enjoyment of food. And that's what Maggie's been espousing. And she's done it very cleverly. She, she knows how to make delicious food, but she also recognizes you want to make it nutritious as well. And so we're bringing that combination together in that partnership. Fantastic that you're using the, the parts of the people journeying with dementia that are still working well and still bringing for, uh, enrichment to their lives. And Russell, we've heard in earlier episodes about uh, crayfish and prawns at nursing homes. Uh, and, and basically, I know you've been throwing out some of the old um, fish fingers, peas and mashed potato images from nursing homes. Tell us about that. Yeah, and, and picking up on what Maggie's been leading, mm. um, we believe that the food experience is absolutely critical in the care environment. So we've engaged a five-star chef and and we're really trying to create a food experience that is better than what they would have got at home. So um, really high-quality food, um, presented like it's in a restaurant. Um, we're introducing new cooking techniques so you can do things like long roasting of food overnight and all of that sort of experience. It's all about not just the food itself but creating an environment that's social, that is about communing around food that adds to the sensory experience. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting with Todd Chevens, the chef who is revolutionising the Baptist Care Kitchen in a future episode of Demystifying Aged Care, but I'm afraid our time together today is up. Thank you to Lorraine, to Professor Martins and to Russell for the interesting look at this challenging journey of dementia and Alzheimer's disease and for, for, for both sufferer and family alike. And if you want to ask us a question or provide us with feedback on anything you've heard in today's show we would love to hear from you please email us at podcast at baptistcare.com.au that's podcast at baptistcare.com.au and if you're interested in finding out more about anything we've discussed today don't forget check out the show notes for this episode and last but not least if you would like others to be benefiting from this information, then a great way to help them tune into our show is to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. We would love you to do that. Thanks in anticipation. I'm Graham Mabry, and I look forward to you tuning in again soon to Demystifying Aged Care. For now, goodbye, God bless. Demystifying Aged Care is proudly brought to you by Baptist Care.